Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley. We are in game week, which is kind of enjoyable to get my head around. And when we're doing this podcast next Monday, we will be talking about an actual game. Because the season will have already started. Until then, uh, we've got some more training camp stuff to talk some about. More speculation. Yeah, more speculation. <laughs> hash and rehash. But uh, we did get a chance to talk to some players that either we've never talked to or rarely talked to last week. Uh, Alizé Mack was one of them. Jalen Elliott was in there. C.J. Sanders. Uh, Khalid Kareem came in. Yeah, Julian O'Quara. Julian O'Quara was in there. So some new faces, which was nice. Chris Fink. I Chris forgot Fink. to mention him, yep. of course. Chris Fink. Um and then also, we did not get a chance to see them practice again, so we don't have any uh, observations in terms of what they're working on. But I got a chance to talk to Alizia Mack. I've been a little bit, I don't know, cautiously pessimistic, if that's a thing. You brought with, me down with him. Think yeah, but I've kind of been a womp womp yeah. on him just based on the, uh, the hamstring injury and, and battling through some things. Did but he lift you back up? He lifted my spirits. Yes. Um, but after talking to him, I was like, Oh, okay. I I'm more I'm down with this guy because yeah. he really. If you're in sports media, and we've all talked to people who you know they've gone through uh, some adversity, screwed something up, made some terrible mistake, and you're like, ah, you know what? I just want to talk about the future. Uh, I'm just I'm focused on the future. Let's talk about the future. Alzheimer Mack was just a playbook of how to deal with that, how to hang a lantern on something, how to own it, and then. Then you can really move on because people are like, wow, this guy really gets it. Um, so I was much more up on him coming out of that. Maybe not as a 55 catch, 10 touchdown, second leading receiver type guy, but as somebody who is pretty jacked up. And when you asked him about Chip Long's offense, he could all, he could barely contain <laughs> laughter, smiling, uh, want to high five reporters just about how excited he is to play in this. I'm still high on him. It wasn't the spring, so and throughout the summer, I kind of have to speak of hanging a lantern on it. I have said that he's going to break the tight end touchdown record, which is only six. So it's not the end of the world if he can break that. <laughs> but I really think the way camp has come, kind of progressed, he is the second option if he's healthy. Because if it's 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 not Camp Smith for the whole season. He, I don't think it's going to be that way. So I think Notre Dame is in flux at wide receiver, which makes Alizé Mack their second Best option behind, obviously, Will. Well, and the running backs are mixed in there, too, as a unit. The running back unit will catch a lot of balls this year. But I think they need him to be. And I, the one thing I didn't like in camp was that when he had that hamstring injury, I just thought, man, that slowed Josh Adams for the better part of a month and a half, right? Just Well, it's normal. It's yeah, normal it, to oh, yeah. think that. But, but, you know, all hamstring injuries are not sure. the same. and. So, in other words, Pete, I mean, he continued, you know, I mean, he was tweeting during the whole process, and so he continued the whole, I'm thrilled to be here and I can't wait uh, theme that, that he's been carrying. And I, you know, the hamstring injury and then people saying that, you know, he isn't all on board and him and Claypool not working hard and, and, and that kind of stuff. But he's a five-star talent. He was a five-star talent coming out of high school. And if, if he's healthy, he's going to be a four- to five-star player for Notre Dame this year and beyond, hopefully. Yeah, I, you know, just as we finally put a bow on camp, I mean, the guy that impressed you the most, offense, defense, um, not, and it doesn't need to be like the MVP necessarily right. or the best player because we did our top 25, and we could talk about that in a minute. But the guy that maybe moved the needle most uh, for you? I'm still with Alex Bars. Oh. I just thought he was... I mean, I, I. So you're saying most improved? Yeah, most improved, but good too. I mean, you know, yeah. it's not just because he was bad. I just think Alex Bars is in the right position for him. Um, we'll find out if 
I, I think he's in the right position for the team, too. I, I, no I know doubt. there's a lot of people that think that he can protect a guard rather than he can protect a right tackle. But I think Alex Bars just took a huge step. He's not Quentin Nelson or Mike McGlinchey, but I think it's another outstanding, probably strong, another really good offensive lineman they have. And it's not kind of the cool pick. You know, it's not not a wide receiver sprinting down the field all the time, but I thought Alex Bars had a great camp. I would put Mustafer right there with with him. I mean, I, I... yeah, and I, I was the one that was saying, oh, it's Bars, Bars the beginning of camp. But I think that they're both in great shape, especially Bars. Bars has really, you know, changed his body and his uh, the composition of, of his body. And I think, you know, you put you put those two guys with... Quentin Nelson's the best player on the team, in my opinion, the most dominant player on the team. And uh, we did our top 25, and I, I didn't have McGlinchey uh, as high as everybody else because I still think that he's a little bit vulnerable off the edge. And, you know, I don't know about the false starts. That'll, I, I would imagine will diminish this year. But I think Quentin Nelson's a star. And Equinemius St. Brown really was the star of the camp offensively from start to finish. Especially in Brian Kelly's um, press conferences. <laughs> yeah, maybe that maybe <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm influenced yeah. by that. But, I mean, we saw the scrimmage. And yeah, oh, yeah, he's got, yeah. He has good chemistry with Wimbush. And, I think it was very encouraging, whether it was just a scrimmage and, and, and the outlier, but very encouraging to see what Chase Claypool did a couple Sundays ago. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with a lot of those. I mean, you know, Tony Jones, I guess, would have to get some mention, especially by you, O'Malley, since yeah. you ranked him as a top 10 player on the team yeah. uh, in your top 25. But I don't know. I, I look at between Jones and Dexter Williams and obviously Josh Adams – I don't want to say that you can't go wrong, but I think my perspective is more like as good as Tony Jones has been, I just don't really know where the work is going to come yeah. from. Um, I just it's a so, long season where I think it comes it, from. Yeah, you know, that's, that's fair. I, I think we all have it's just sort of we need to accommodate for like there's an inevitable injury that will happen at four or five positions and you need somebody else to play. So I, I'll flip to defense because I think you guys have covered the offense. Sean Crawford he was good from the beginning of camp and has, has continued to, I think, be pretty good. Um, but I think we have to sort of account for where we thought he might be in spring or when the injury happened yeah. as, as like, he may never actually come back. He's come back, and I think that's really significant. And then Dalen Hayes is, for me at least, good spring game, but he's continued to build on yeah. that there's a consistent performance level with him that I wasn't quite sure if he was going to hit as a sophomore, but I think he's definitely hitting it. Yeah, and I'm I'm encouraged. You know, we're swayed a lot of times by interviews, as you, as you've said, and I yeah. was encouraged by Dalen Hayes and just the confidence that now he's carrying himself with, uh, bigger, stronger, feels a lot better about what he's capable of doing against offensive tackles. Captainy is how I would describe. I, it I would, I would agree with Number that, eight. and that's. Yeah, <laughs> I, I made a joke. I was in Los Angeles this weekend talking to the Notre Dame club, and I said Josh Adams has been elevated uh, to captain. He's now number 33 on the team. Uh, He's a lone remaining non-captain. Yeah, you're right, right. But, no, that's really encouraging about Dalen Hayes. And, and I would, you know, I, I'm I'm drinking the Kool-Aid with Drew Tranquil, too, which coincides with the, the feedback that you got the from the coach. At, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you did because that was feedback yeah. directly from, from Notre Dame. And, and – I think he's going to have a great year. I think the linebacking core is really, really good. And we still, 
Yeah, the verdict is still out on the corners over the course of a season, but you're encouraged there, and and we know where the the biggest concern is on the defense. I think Niles Morgan was the best player in Notre Dame's camp. I think you guys are right that Dalen Hayes was kind of the most. Uh, you maybe change your opinion of what they could do defensively because of, you know the spring he had a great spring game, but they weren't allowed to touch him. They know what they were doing when he was in yeah. the backfield the whole time. I didn't even look. Other than he's quick. It didn't look anything to be in the spring, but now he just looks like a, he built on that. And then the guy that's the most improved from, now I had him very low. I would not have had him in my top 20 pre-camp. I ended up with Jerry Tillery at number 12 in my top 25. I thought Tillery had a really good camp. And maybe that's me drinking the Kool-Aid thinking if he doesn't have a good camp, they're going to get destroyed up the middle. But he's, I thought he had a good camp. And I never, never would have said that in... Remember when Brian Kelly, his Jerry Tillery's early enrollment, you were covering Notre Dame basketball, and we kept telling you, Kelly cannot stop talking about Tillery and how yeah. incredible he is, and then we just never saw it for two years. Yeah. In well, any consistent basis, the Michigan State game, but it was, I mean, one one game in 25, you should probably yeah, play one when you start. He just had a consistently good camp for me. Yeah, I think that, that he can be a player for six or seven games. But I think the issue there with Notre Dame, which feeds into, like, what's your biggest concern, is, like, they need him to be a consistent player for 12 games. And that there's just no way to know if that's there or not. I would be shocked, wouldn't you? His 12? Well, who has 12? Who has has 12 good games? Yeah. Nobody has. Well, oh, I see what you're saying. You're not even putting it on him as much as Notre Dame's defense needs it from that exact guy position. Okay. Well, he has a chance to... Start out with a really good game because he'll be going up against Matt Hennessy, the center for Temple, who's a redshirt freshman who played briefly in, th- in three games and then they preserved a year of eligibility. So he's going to go head-to-head with a redshirt freshman this coming Saturday. So it's a great opportunity for him. Dalen Hayes, you know, I've been working on that story about when did you realize you you uh, uh, arrived as a major college football player? And I've been surprised by a lot of the guys who are like, you know, when I got here to Notre Dame, I figure they're going to say there's a game during my junior year. Elise Mack says, yeah, there was a game against Bergen Catholic when I knew I was big time. But not everybody answers it that way. And Dalen Hayes said he knew he was a big time player when he had a great day in the blue goal game this past week. Wow. So I thought, you know, I'll be presenting that story sometime this week. Presenting, I will. Uh, I will be writing that story this week. <laughs> you did that, and be uh, interesting. The very uh, answers to it. Did you do that story in 2012 when Sierra <laughs> Wood said birth? Was that when he? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did not, but I'm sure he was very confident uh, as a three month old. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, news of the week. We did sort of, kind of, ish nail Brian Kelly down on the Kevin Stefferson stuff. Um, Tim, you asked him a little bit about it, and he kind of ducked the eligibility question. Yeah, because he did a lousy job of asking the question. By saying, like, you said, is he eligible? And he said, all my guys are eligible if they're showing certain traits, which had nothing to do with eligibility at all. He interpreted it as uh, academically eligible, I was told later. Okay, well, his (laughs) his answer was not that. And then Lou Samoji, one of our other colleagues, uh, said, confirm or deny... He's suspended, and Brian Kelly said, I can neither confirm nor deny, which is basically, I think we would all take it as a confirmation. Would we not? Yeah, I think he, I think we'll see him getting back in the mix against Miami of Ohio. Don't have any official word on that, though. There is no official word on that, and I don't think we'll get at it because it's 
Probably a... Well, uh, well, he's not going to be in play universe. this week. We know that. He exactly. hasn't been part of, of anything Well, he's not going to be meaningful. in play against Georgia then either. I mean, he's right. not even right. close to playing. He's it was a scout team cornerback, so he's not going to be out there against the other guys that have been having a good camp. So I think we'll see him later in the year. So we are expecting... We are anticipating a four-game hiatus. Yes. But I think it's... We could <laughs> nice. call it a good, suspension if you want. I just the S word. Hopefully he can help out later in the year. Be one of those call-ups. You did a story on call-ups. Yeah, he could yeah. be a call-up because he will help the team. I mean, if he's... And here's the thing. If he's staying, if he's sticking it out right now, he is... No one's having less fun at practice than Kevin Stefferson, so he is sticking it out to a certain degree, right? To a certain degree, It's yeah. not that easy to go to but Notre I was Dame told, and not play football I was told that his <laughs> that he's wor- grit is not one of his issues in practice. Now, I don't know that we've necessarily seen that. He was put at uh, scout team running back in that rodeo drill where they just tackle walk-ons as hard as they can. When we were at Culver. Yeah. Yeah. That's not fun. I mean, you're a starting wide receiver, and, and he ran outside the cone, which is probably a good idea, so you don't get hit. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes, I mean, my point is, he could he could have bailed a lot already, and he hasn't bailed yet. So I, I think if people are concerned that he's not going to make it through the semester on the team... I think that would already would have happened. Yeah, it's this semester. I don't know. I've, I've sort of been like, eh, it's, people are making too much of Stefferson because he was good, but you know, was was he an, an amazing breakout freshman performer? Probably not. But then I was going back and I don't want to sound all nerdy here, but I was watching some USC tape to chart how many starters Notre Dame was using on special teams. Um, was it from 2006 or last year? Last year. <laughs> I want to see, like, who was on the field when Adoree Jackson brought that kickoff back? Um, who was? Uh, not one starter, I believe. Really? Uh, I think it was just, and it was Tavon Coney, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because he's not that fast. Um, but I, I'm. that's another issue. <laughs> Then I saw Kevin Stefferson put a double move on first round pick of Dory Jackson for a touchdown. I'm like, oh, this actually is a big deal, and maybe yeah. people are correct in asking about it as much as they do. I did his A to Z preview, so I ended up watching some stuff and looking back at it too. And I mean, the, the highlight I put up against Miami when Brian Kelly said he's like a 28 yard catch and run. When Brian Kelly said his first spring, he runs to the ball and threw the ball full speed like no one I've had here. It is a perfect example of it. If you do Notre Dame A to Z, Kevin Stefferson, he looks like a pro on that play, catching the ball and just taking it through Miami's secondary, and they have some fast guys. I think, look, if, if you're doing everything wrong or plenty of things wrong off the field, considering what happened last year, he shouldn't be playing. They have plenty of guys, but I do think it would help. It would be it would be better if their 12th best receiver was the guy that was the problem instead of their up-and-coming sophomore, right? Yeah, because yeah. he's... Let's, in a, let's go to a magical place where Kevin Sefferson was fully you know in with the depth chart and the rotation... He would be Notre Dame's number two wide receiver, yes. and it would not even be a question. So in the meantime, guys like Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, Chris Fink have to step up. Right. And, and and they're fine players. And they're, yeah. and they're certainly capable of doing that. They didn't do it. None of them have done it on the with the regularity that Stefferson did last year as a true freshman. His five touchdowns are the second most for a freshman in Notre Dame history. Yeah, that's a, that's behind impressive. Michael Floyd. It's pretty good. Yeah. Good. Was good too. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for segment one. We got a bunch of questions from our readers and a couple from Twitter, so we'll get into all that next. Segment two, Irish Illustrated Insider. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider segment two. We've got a bunch of questions from our readers and Twitter. We're going to start with Twitter. First from Josh Jones. He wants to know how many yards do you think Josh Adams will end up with this season if he averages 20 carries a game? 
I don't think he'll average 20 carries a game, but he would certainly exceed 1,200 yards if he does. Um, the most carries in the Brian Kelly era is Sierra Wood, 217 in 2011. That was when it was he and Jonas Gray. Now, Gray didn't really become a big part of it until about game four or five, and he missed the last two games. Um, there's no reason for Josh Adams to carry the ball 20 times a game this year. It would be really strange, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, especially yeah. if Dexter Williams is going to average eight and Tony Jones is going to get four or five. That's And Brandon Wimbush at some point is going yeah. to run as well. And they're going to throw to those three guys. Yeah, it's like the Josh Adams thing, I guess maybe I was a little bit lower on him, like in the, our top 25 voting than, than most of us or you guys. And then I was reading Pat Forty's sort of 40-yard dash today, and he said Josh Adams would be Notre Dame's Heisman contender. Think, Which would imply the 20 carries again. Yeah, yeah but would. his career has 20 carries twice. It's just, there's no point. If these guys, if yeah. Williams and Jones, it, it's not a Brian Kelly. I mean, when Notre Dame had great running backs, you you share the load. That's what wears defenses down. If you have yeah, three good runners. Yeah, and if you give 20 carries a game, it wears Josh Adams right. down. And, and he has had some injury issues, um, certainly last year. Well, 20 carries a game times 13 games... You know, I mean, he's he's he would put up, yeah, he would put up at at five yards per carry, but he's a six point four yard uh, per carry guy through his career. It goes he would down put up, he, he would put up huge numbers, yeah. but I don't think that I, I don't think it would be in Nordim's best interest for him to carry that much against Temple and Miami, Ohio. Yeah, and, there'll be games where he'll get twenty carries, but just games, right? Right. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Yeah. You need you need to put. You've got all these receivers. You've got a quarterback that's got to run, too. The number two running back, whichever game it is, because it, it's probably going to be fluid with who's hot and has a good week of practice and a good previous week, whatever, should get at least 10 carries in yeah. each game. I, here's a way to look at Josh Adams. If he gets if he averages, if he he gets to 200 carries for the year, it's 15 carries a game over 13 games. If he just had produced at the level he produced the last two years, he would end up with about 1,300 yards, which would be a huge season. Uh, and... That would be a real good indication that Notre Dame's offense was as good as what we thought it was going to be. For a running team, they didn't really have three runners. They had two. But um, Theo Riddick had 190, and Sierra Wood had 114 carries that year in 2012. Now, Wood missed two games, right? At least one. Just one game for suspension, I think. Two one. games, actually. Two game suspension for the uh, for the non Non suspension. Yeah. Um, so, but that's just to put it, you know, they ran the ball a lot. They ran the ball for 500 times, and there was two guys that exceeded 100 yard, 100 attempts. So, you might be right on that four to five carry thing for the third runner. Um, I think Tony Jones or Dexter Williams, whoever the third runner is, is way higher in the pecking order than George Atkinson was, though, as a freshman that year. Yeah, so. I, d- I did sort of a, a look at this the carries yardage of the third, the quote unquote third back, yeah. which skips over the, the quarterback because they're not a, a running back. And I think it was Torian Fulston's freshman year was the highest. But and that that was a season where they didn't have a, a they first didn't have running a, they back. didn't have a starter. Yeah. And uh, then there's years where the guys get hurt like two thousand ten where they're all getting carries, but that's because they Robert Hughes was off the radar and then all of a sudden he's the starting running back. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Well, the main thing is keep Josh Adams healthy yeah. and he'll be yeah. running He'll be doing great things in November. A quick hitter from the den. More likely win USC or Stanford. More likely loss North Carolina or North Carolina State. I don't want to give away our season preview stories that are coming out this week, but USC is a more ahead. likely win for me. And uh, I mean, the more likely loss, I actually didn't pick it, but the more likely loss is at North Carolina, certainly, than home against North Carolina State. That might fly in the face of what I actually type on Tuesday and Wednesday, and it appears on the uh, interwebs. But I think it's more likely they would lose at. North Carolina, 
if you're just taking it road game, they're probably only a three-point favorite right I now. definitely would say more likely USC. Notre Dame's lost four in a row at Stanford end of the season. We It's been four years since Notre Dame's been healthy enough to... Mm-hmm. Compete out there, to, yeah. yeah, to compete to the level that they would like. Of course, you know, a couple of years ago they had they had a, obviously a shot to beat Stanford, but the other one's tough because NC State's better than North Carolina. Right. I agree, but um, but yeah, it's a road game, and Notre Dame's five and eleven in their last sixteen true road games. So, um, you know, and it's, it's only a field goal spread there. right now, so that's not. I mean, right. they, obviously, other people think it could be close. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. <laughs> More likely win is the home game, and more likely loss is the road game. Okay. I think it's just a, it's my operating principple until uh, yeah, until otherwise. proven otherwise. All right, next question: Irish BK eighty four wants to know how much importance would you assign to the lack of arrests or off field distractions uh, around the team this month? I wouldn't even think about it if it wasn't for such a train wreck of last August that the six arrests. I mean, I'll never forget going to bed, waking up at two in the morning, seeing Devin Butler was arrested, writing the story, and then waking up and having my wife say. Did you see what Waking happened? Waking up a second Waking time. Waking up a mean, second yeah. time, and my wife saying, did you see what happened last night? I was like, yeah, I already wrote about it. She's like, all five of those guys? What? <laughs> so you figure when you write about an arrest at 2 in the morning, that's it. So just for... I know that was a problem last year. If you're putting your pulse on the team, that wasn't the only problem. Demetrius DeBose and Rick Meyer arrested. Lafayette Square Party, 10-1-1, number three team in the country. It matters the talent you have. Yeah, um, that was kind of a BS arrest situation compared to this one, but I don't know. I think it's good that they weren't. I put on the board. They haven't had two days off. That helps. I'm not being sarcastic. They didn't have a weekend off. What are you gonna? If you don't have a weekend off. You better be ready to practice yeah. in 24 hours. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's significant. Um, I think it's some of it is a bounce back from four and eight. It's like yeah. you know the off field. <laughs> they were they were four and eight off the field last year as well. And I think they have sort of. I think that's back a good way of putting it. You know, it's like I talked to McGlinchey about that on after the, the open practice, and he's you know he was saying you know they had a, a meet this meeting with Swarbrick, and the players are just like, and Swarbrick was like, "Look, stop making off the field headlines," and the players are like, "Okay," and I think that they just sort of their attention is while they are still college kids, uh, I think their attention is more in tune with like. Bouncing back from last season and you know, proving people wrong on the field and off the field, and I, I think for this season at least they benefit from what happened last season. And I think that any time, look, they paid a price with Matt Bayless, and I think any time a team collectively yeah. pays such a high price, and then it's continually emphasized to them, don't screw up uh, because you're going to waste everything, all the hard work that we've put in. I, I think that's beneficial. I. I it's a positive. They're ready to play football. I don't think there's any doubt about that coming into Saturday. Yeah, I think some good habits have been formed. Yeah. All right, last Twitter question from Derek Fields, and he wants to know how we felt about <laughs> Matt Miller's tweet yesterday about Deshaun Kaiser, how he wasn't developed at all at Notre Dame, um, as he was, if you missed it, named starting quarterback yeah. for the well, Cleveland Browns. And a lot of people saw your tweet, Pete, and you disagreed with that. And it's just it's just not accurate. I mean, we talked to uh, Greg Gabriel about Deshaun Kaiser and how he had full field reads uh, last year and the year before, which tells you that you know he's further along than a lot of I, I I don't that that I don't think that will be the case with Brandon Wimbush. I, I don't think that you want to start him out as a starter, uh, having him to read more than Deshaun Kaiser did. So Kaiser developed <laughs> overnight, uh, and I wouldn't put everything on him. The the struggle in the red zone last year, a lot of that had to do with I think play calling. Certainly, I think that grew stale. Uh, 
in the red zone, and B, not having you know the veteran receivers and not having a guy like Will Fuller to bail you out like he did in 2015. I have two ways of looking at Deshaun Kaiser's development. 28 months ago, he was so bad in the spring, he talked to Brian Kelly about switching to baseball. Uh, then when he came in and won the game with a throw to Will Fuller, the next game he was bouncing passes all over the field when they beat Georgia Tech, and Notre Dame's coaches were talking about how it's just a th- kind of a, a hitch in his delivery. He said, I'm going to correct it, i get it corrected. Then he ended up with 31 touchdowns that year. I mean, obviously he has come a long way in two years, and I know some people on your Twitter feed, Pete, were saying that Kelly ruined him last year and you know, did no noticeable improvement. There was not improvement as a college quarterback, but as you said, Greg Gabriel on film sees full field reads. He's an NFL scout. Notre Dame fans and media are just mad they watched a four-win team last year. Right. There's a difference. Right. Right. Yeah. Kaiser Remove some of, some of the emotion yes. from it and evaluate it on face value. Well, it's like, from in this instance, you can say that Deshaun Kaiser developed even though we didn't see a lot of wins last year, and he got pulled in the Stanford game and just had some some real clunker performances. You can believe that, and you can also believe that Brian Kelly botched the whole situation. Because I think both things are true. Yeah, um, I agree. And, sure. that, and that's okay. And he developed since yes. he came to Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, it's come a, on. Yeah, and I think that, one, clearly he developed since he came to Notre Dame. But two, he developed last year even though the team was a mess uh and he did not play great football also i would say that beating out brock osweiler kevin hogan and yeah. cody kessler is not like a football miracle like okay great congratulations it's it means a cool thing but if if he had been drafted by the steelers oh, absolutely and he wasn't starting over ben roethlisberger duh would anyone right. sit there like well brian kelly was right he wasn't ready for the nfl no <laughs> It would be this. It would be the same situation. It's, it's the circumstances matter, and Deshaun Kaiser was put in some good circumstances to win a job on a bad team. I'm just glad he finally beat Kevin Hogan and Cody Kessler. Yeah. All right, Irish Bob, <laughs> did fall camp change your expectations for the season? I I wouldn't say change, uh, altered, adjusted a little bit. I'm a little bit. I think we're all a little bit more optimistic about the defense when you when we actually have visual evidence in four practices that they're making progress. When Mike Elko sits there and say says, I've been telling you that this defensive line is better than the media. He didn't say the media, but people are giving, but that's what he meant, yeah. that people are giving credit for. That carries some weight. I don't think Mike Elko's going to say that if it's not true. So from that perspective, I'm a little bit more optimistic. I'm not more optimistic about the safety position other than Mike Elko coaches it, and I think over time it will get better. Um, I'm more optimistic defensively, offensively about where I thought I was thinking before camp started. I am unchanged, you know, because I think too often in camp I let myself get changed. Yeah, I think we all do. And I mean, like, I think that's natural. What? What? So this year, enough. I've had enough. You're unchanged. I'm I'm doing the same because I I have a, a better opinion of the team than I did coming into camp, and I'm not. Falling for it again, either. Yeah, I, I'm not. Adju- <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not oh, adjusting what I think their final saying, record I, I will be. I think the if someone were to explain to me why they think the defense is better than I think it is, I could listen to them now. That makes like you just kind of did. Right. I, I didn't. Right. I would, before I'd be like, all right, whatever. But now I kind of think that this is. <laughs> there's still flaws, but I, I like the fact that they're better. Def- they, they look better yeah. in camp than I thought they would. On I defense. still think it's a eight and four ish, nine and three ish. Team, I wouldn't go yeah. beyond that based upon anything that we've. Seen. I guess I could be talked into a ceiling by other people, maybe. No, not not just random people telling me. I'm saying like if you had a 
if, if a coach sat down with us and said, this is why we're going to be good, a Notre Dame coach off the record or something, would be like, well, maybe that makes a little well, sense if now. It's a, you know, if, if you watched yeah, it. I haven't had that combo yet. Well, I figure it's coming for one of us, right? If this is a, okay, so let's, talking. if this is a top 30 defense, I think we talked about this last week. I mean, if it's a top, if it's a legit, legitimate top 30 defense, which I don't think it probably is, well then, yeah, then you can raise the ceiling, certainly. Andy Squid 23, gun to your head. You have to choose. Do you actually believe we are going to see a new and improved Brian Kelly this year? No. Um, do I need to expound on that? No, but it kind of goes with your previous answer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see a new and improved Brian Kelly. I think that there are improvements within the program. Like, I think the coaching staff's a lot better. Um, I think the offensive line will be better. Linebackers will be really good. Strength and conditioning is great. Uh, but it just in terms of the head coach himself and this like the, the CEO aspect, I don't think that's going to change some of the stuff that we see on game days where there's a, a, a few rash decisions that you're just like, what? I think that stuff will still happen. I don't see why it wouldn't. You think you'll have greater peace of mind knowing that Mike Elko's running the defense? I hope so. I mean, I, I would yeah. I would think that he would, and that you know that might. Uh, temper some of the things that he faces during the course of the game. I don't know. I see uh, what you're saying. I mean, I think, think I, he has to score. Yeah, I mean, I think he has greater faith. You know, how many times he said that they're more fundamentally sound and eleven playing is one. I, I, I think that he truly believes that that is going to happen under Mel, Mike Elko, and that could temper some of his outbursts maybe along the way. No, it's. I mean, I don't know if it's a outburst thing as much as the. There are just some calls that happen. You're thinking like games. Northwestern and Tulsa. Northwestern, and all those you're things. just like, what? Like, well, those are just factually wrong calls. It wasn't even opinions. That was just the wrong thing to do. He yeah. mathematically messed up the game, and he, then there's some bad ideas too. That's a bad thing to happen. Yeah, uh, I would assume. I, I like your point on that though, Tim. That because he might trust the defense more. Gun a little, my, a little I, more peace of mind. Yeah, gun to my head, I say no too. Okay, well, I get that. I, I mean, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, right? Because it's, it's gonna, it's it, if it happens in what week eight and they win, then who cares? Well, yeah. it's also like, yeah. what does it mean? Like, yeah. if the defense is great, is that a new and improved Brian Kelly, or is it just like no? The I defense think that can, great. I think that can add to his peace of mind yeah. with confidence that Mike Elko's making the right decisions over there, and you know he doesn't then have to alter some of those key decisions. Based upon the fact that he has no belief at all that the defense I, can right. stop him, I uh, remember asking him after Michigan State last year because the defense was so bad, right. he had to and alter was, the way he called games. He didn't like that question. He didn't like uh, that question, but it was a great. It was completely it pertinent to, to the situation. Yes, absolutely. Um, Irish Cub fan, I will feel better about Notre Dame. This is fill in the blank. Yep. I will feel better about Notre Dame being successful this year if we leave the stadium Saturday saying Notre Dame won by twenty-one points or more. I think the spread's 15 and a half. So, yeah, three touchdowns. That's because I I am a big believer that the first game... Yeah, you've been you, on this one. You don't need to worry about overreacting to it because over the last seven years, it's told you pretty much everything you've needed to know about Notre Dame football. 2010, Purdue, Slugfest. A team had to sort of scrap for everything. 2011, South Florida <laughs> debacle. No attention to DTL turnovers all over the place. 2012, very clean impressive blowout of Navy 2013 was the temple. temple game where they were good not great which is what they were which is exactly what they were 2014 a little bit of an outlier 
That was uh, you made the right. It was Rice. You made the point that that would have been like if you played that game with no defensive healthy players. Right. Yeah. If Notre Dame played was healthy on defense, twenty fourteen Rice would have been more indicative. But it was still indicative of the first five six games. Yeah. Twenty fifteen, very indicative. That was a great offense and a pretty good defense. Maybe not a shutout defense, but Texas was a, just a garbage fire. And then last year at Texas again, no defense whatsoever. Way over schemed. Quarterback mismanagement. I mean, that had the whole thing wrapped up into it. So I think whatever. Look, whatever we see on Saturday at Temple, you fill in the next eleven games accordingly off, off that. So twenty-one point win. That's what that would make me feel better if I saw that. I don't have a better answer than that. That's a good answer. I was yeah, going to say I mean, running the ball on. You know, wouldn't you say that they're going to believe the offensive line? Well, let's see when it's second and goal and you get stuffed. Do they run again? Or do yeah, you I do. And, and I mean, yeah, I think you have to look at Temple here. I mean, yeah, I think you have to take Temple in consideration. I mean, they lost Hassan Riddick and praised uh, Martin Oguike, who had 32 and a half sacks combined last year. You know, they had the Temple had the 11th ranked total defense in the country. I don't think Temple's going to be at that level, uh, even with Jeff Collins, a great you know defensive coach, coming in as their new head coach. Um, you know, they lost Deion Dawkins, a second round draft pick at left tackle. So this is. Not the same Temple team, and I think Notre Dame should win the game, you know, 38-13, 34-13, something along those lines. If that's the way it unfolds, yeah, I think we're going to feel pretty good about game one. Nurbach, where do you think Notre Dame's linebacker core ranks nationally? I'm a huge fan of this group. Also, ha high can you see Niles Morgan going in the draft? He doesn't get much pub nationally. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know where they rank nationally. I think it's a very good, I think we've been saying this the whole yeah. preseason, it's a very good line, linebacker core, not only the starters, not only Drew Tranquil moving up to a linebacker-like position, but what you have in Tavon Coney and Asmar Bilal. I agree with that. And I think that Tavon Coney, I wasn't super high on him last year. I couldn't put my finger on it. Turns out it's because he was out of shape. Uh, so now he's in great shape. I mean, literally, Clark Lee said, oh, no, about Clark, Clark Lee, could have Mike Elston. I think Clark Lee said to me, Tavon Coney, yeah, it was Tavon Coney and Asmar Bilal did nothing in the spring to make me think they deserve to be in the starting lineup to make me to show me their best traits. Tavon Coney has 100% bought into our conditioning since, and we have seen pictures of it. That's a good backup. He's started multiple games. Started nine a, games last yeah, year. Yeah, and he's a backup to two positions. Asmar Bilal is a quality backup. I really like the linebacking core. I think all three of us think if I hate the underrated thing because who knows, right? If they're underrated or overrated, they're good. Uh, but I will say this. If you want to know how good they are nationally, you're playing the right schedule. Phil Steele and a conglomerate of all the people that rate. I didn't just use Phil Steele. Everybody that rates linebackers. So Lindy's, Athlon's, ESPN, Phil Steele. Number two, well, number one is Alabama, shockingly. Number two, Stanford. Number five, USC. Number six, Georgia. Number seven, Miami. All on Notre Dame's schedule. Right. Notre Dame's 11 or something like that. So we'll see because they have to be better than... There's some linebackers coming, so we'll see how good they are. Yeah, I'm a big believer in Greer Martini. I'm higher on him yeah. than everybody else, and I think he's going to have a great year. He had—I don't know if I said this in a podcast—but who had more tackles for loss this year, last year? Now's Morgan or Greer Martini? I'm asking it because the answer is Greer Martini, and he only started—he only started four games. Now he played way more than a, than your typical four-game starter last year, and I think he's really going to thrive this year. That would be a really poorly set-up question if it was Niles Morgan. Fun note. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't prove my point, would it? Fun note about next year with Notre Dame's defense, they have the potential to return nine starters, and yeah, the two new to... starters would be Asmer Bilal and Tavon Coney. Yeah. Good sign. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Good sign. 
Where are we at? Statman72. Will Kelly or Long open up the playbook against Temple to give Wimbush experience running many different plays in live action, or will they play it close to the vest to show Georgia very little? I think more of the former. Um, I also hope that they have enough plays for two games. So, I... <laughs> Like yeah, what, I think that whatever the crux of Notre Dame's offense is going to be for the year, we're going to see on Saturday. Right now, are they going to do a triple reverse halfback option pass? Probably not. That's that that's the stuff that you save. Right. Two point uh, conversion type plays that you save. Yeah, forever. Yeah. Never use them. <laughs> yeah. But I think just sort of like the, the crux of what Notre Dame is: power running game, a lot of vertical stuff, play action shots, two tight ends, two running backs. He's not going to save that. He'll save a couple wrinkles off all those things because yeah. he should. It's game two against I a better th- opponent, but that's, you don't save it usually. I Notre mean, Notre Dame's not in a position to save anything. Right. They've got to go. They've <laughs> got to go out and play now. If you're if it's no, a, totally if it's the second this. half and you're up 38-13, like I said, well then yeah, maybe there's some things that okay we can keep that in our back pocket. But I Notre Dame is not in a position to be saving anything for anybody. They need to go out and play and win the game. And I, if you're up comfortably. Then you sit on some plays. Totally agree with you. They are not, and this is not a thing where they can go out there and roll the ball out. Notre Dame against Temple. They tried that against Duke. Look, either Miami, Ohio, or Temple is the easiest win on the schedule. If culture beats scheme, Temple's culture is a hell of a lot better than Notre yeah. Dame's was going into this offseason right. because right. they've won 10 in a row twice. And they Temple's not going there thinking they can't beat Notre Dame. Yeah, that was something. So we'll have an insider Q&A with a Temple beat writer this afternoon on Irish Illustrated, but... That was one of the things we talked about. It was just like, Temple's won 20 games the last two years. And they had Notre Dame kind of beat in right. 2015. And that was a great Notre Dame team. It's they That program has come a long yes. way from 2013 when they came in here. And we're just like, whoa, what's this about? I mean, they, they will come in here thinking that this will be a game in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And if it is... Advantage Temple because they're going to be comfortable in that environment, and Notre Dame is going to be oh, the crowd will be terrible if it's a game in the I fourth mean, quarter. Too. I mean, having said that, most of the playmakers from Temple the last two yeah, years are gone. Notre Dame, Notre Dame should definitely beat them. I'm, not, I'm saying this is not a team wandering in, looking at the starry-eyed new scoreboard. Temple is coming into play. They just don't have the horses yeah. Notre Dame has anymore, and they do have a new coach. You don't have Matt Rule. Yeah. You know, that Matt Rule is still that would change a lot. Yeah, for me, I, don't, I mean, I would pick Notre Dame to beat Matt Rule, but I would be thinking to myself. We're right. looking at that's when that's when you really know like that the culture is still yes. in place. Yeah. yeah, and I think look, Temple is in for an adjustment. Just because they don't win ten games this year isn't going to make it a disappointment for Jeff Collins. But they look when you look at their roster, or lose their all-time leading passer, the yeah, studs they, they had on defense, the left tackle, their top running back, their right. head coach. Right. So many good you, defensive players over the last two years. You, it's just, you look at that squad and think, okay, if they go seven and five, that would be a good continuation of winning twenty games the last two years. I guess they're not Rice, they're not Temple two thousand thirteen, as you said, they're not Navy two thousand twelve. They're better than that, you know. And they might be South Florida two thousand eleven, right. because you know what? That team wasn't any good. They won five yeah. games, so that's, that's that's amazing. But it's they're 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 not the worst team Notre Dame has brought in here in game one by any. Stretch. No, it's not a team that's going to come in here and piss down its leg and beat itself. Yeah. Um, they're going to be better than that. Unless, again, they, no matter who starts at quarterback, and we think it'll be Frank that guy Newtow. Could. He right. might, yeah. He's yeah. thrown, Newtow's thrown uh, five career passes, and Logie Marchi, Logan Marchi has thrown six. Regardless what quarterback they choose, and we think it'll be, be Newtow, there'll be two first-time starters at quarterback Saturday. Whatever yeah. you whenever you think to yourself, even though you've read it before, who? 
when you talk about the next team's quarterbacks, that's a problem. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. We will be back Thursday for our Temple Preview podcast. From here on out, we'll do podcasts every Monday, every Wednesday. And I mentioned this on our recruiting podcast with Kevin Sinclair. That's going to shift to Wednesdays moving forward. This week on Irish Illustrated, we'll have our season predictions game by game from the three of us. I'm going Tuesday. O'Malley, you're Wednesday. Priester, I'm telling you right now that you're Thursday. Thursday. Thursday for your game by game season predictions. So you can check out all that on irishillustrated.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by Duloc Leadership. I'm Len Clark of Duloc Leadership. A DISC personality profile workshop will help you and your organization improve its communication, enhance team performance, and increase customer service. In other words, it will save you money. To learn more about a DISC facilitated workshop, contact me at 219-771-1004.